0: This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, May 29th. And Welcome to episode 95 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Paul Elliott. And this is a weekly baseball podcast. Paul and I are from Champaign, Illinois. Uh, Paul, how's it going? It is going well. We've spent a lot of time together this weekend. We have. Uh, for the listeners out there, Paul and I went to a uh, White Sox Tigers doubleheader yesterday at the rate. Mm-hmm. guaranteed rate field. I guess we'll we'll recap it in, in a few minutes, um, but a good time. Are you pretty tired from the full day of baseball? You know, uh, I'm not too bad. If anything, the food is what's weighing <laughs> me down today, mm-hmm. but we can get into that in a second. I went back and I did a calorie count oh, from no. our all-you-can-eat buffet, Oof. so that's a teaser. Yeah, there's a live stream on our uh, Twitter page uh, if you want to check that out as well. All right, intro to this week's podcast. Uh, got a good one for you. We're going to recap our experience at the Tigers uh, White Sox doubleheader on Saturday. This week's unique, we have a game uh, instead of a deep dive. So, uh, Memorial Day trade deadline game, second annual. We'll explain more about that when we get to it if you weren't around last year. Uh, looking forward to that. And then uh, we also have an interview with a uh, Major League Baseball draft expert. MLB Draft is coming up here in a few weeks, uh, mid-June. So um, we will talk to Jeff Ellis of Scout.com about uh, all things MLB Draft this week. So it's it's a good interview, even if you're not a huge uh, high school or college baseball fan. Uh, I don't think Paul and I would consider ourselves that. Um, It's still a really good interview, and um, it's good to to know about the future uh, Mm of baseball. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chris Bryant was once a draft pick. Correct. It's important to remember that. People forget. So is Courtney Hawkins. I don't know who that is. Exactly. Uh, all right. So uh, before we dive into all that, let's do our Nelly update. Uh, Nelly was on Good Morning America on Friday with uh, Florida Georgia Line. They are going on tour together here coming up uh, in the summer. And so they did a, um, a live concert uh, for the Good Morning America people. Uh, I'm going to play a clip for you from that appearance. Uh, it's Nelly, Florida Georgia Line, Michael Strahan, and uh, Robin Roberts, mm-hmm. form, former ESPN uh, person. Uh, so here is a clip from that.
1: They're one of the biggest acts in country, Florida Georgia Line. Hey, 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 Bill's good Nelly. to be here. Nelly himself
2: is here. Yeah, great, in. great, great.
0: This is wild.
1: I, 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 hope, I hope they can hear us at home because we can't hear ourselves out here. They are small, but they are mighty. You brought out the sun. Of course, the great hit, cruise a couple years ago. Now you guys are going out on tour, we're calling it the Smooth Tour. And a week from today, you're going to be in Austin, Texas, to kick it all off. So what can your fans expect
2: from that? And we're excited. We're going to bring the party, man. Nationwide, <laughs> it's going to be huge. Yes, we got Nelly with us. It's always a good time. So... Uh the Smooth Tour is about to kick off. We couldn't be more
0: excited. That's and
1: Nelly, Niche. Yeah, <laughs> Nelly's keeping busy himself. Yeah. Uh, so great that you have your first track out in a couple of years. Yeah, Sounds good to me. I,
2: Sounds I like good that. to me
1: <laughs> is the name of it. You're going to perform that in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it has like that, that, that country flavor to it. What, what brings you to this country music? No,
0: you know what? It's just, um I think just the energy and the vibe of yeah. what we've been able to attach. And, um you know, being with these boys here, man, they like, you know, they're the best doing it right now, man. And it's great energy and they love what they do. So... You know, I'm happy to be here.
1: All right. You make, a great, you make a great team. You guys make a great team.
0: You excited for the concert, Paul? <laughs> Can't say that I am. Do you like uh, any country music? No, I, I and I really don't like Florida Georgia Line. It's like pop country. Yeah. It is catchy, but I agree with you. Uh, all right. Um, that was our nearly update. Thanks, Tim, for our intro song. Uh, let's move on to uh, some baseball uh, banter. Let's talk about our doubleheader. That we attended on Saturday. Would you like to give the calorie uh, figure for us? Yeah. So there was a free all-you-can-eat buffet before the game. Kind of underneath the right field bleachers that Peter and I and some friends uh, partook in. It was included in the ticket. Right. So I guess it wasn't free. So uh, they had a wide assortment of meats <laughs> and like barbecue salad type options. Um. So I had three pieces of fried chicken, uh, a beer two Cokes, a hot dog, pasta salad, potato salad, and all of that combined. Do you have a guess? Oh, boy. Uh, I'm going to guess 1,800. Uh, 2,490 oh, no. calories. Jeez. So I had uh, uh, like a full slab of ribs, I think, by the end of it. Two or three pieces of chicken, uh, two hot dogs with like, stuff on the hot dogs a beer and a coke so i, I would say shoot no you're probably above me yeah I would, eh, i'd say it's similar i didn't have any salads you know, like the potato salad pasta i think that has a lot of a lot of calories you had two of those hot dogs yeah i don't think hot dogs have a ton of calories though yeah as you can imagine the food was not of the best quality very similar to like an elementary school uh cafeteria mm-hmm. or at least when we were in elementary school that's what they served yeah so that all of that's kind of weighing me down today uh, I will say I didn't eat much for breakfast, so the two thousand four hundred ninety calories uh, carried me through the day. I think that's what—that's uh, more than what you need for the entire day. Right. Yeah. Two thousand is like the recommended amount. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was a fun day. The Sox won the first game one to nothing or three mm-hmm. nothing. It was one to nothing for most of the game, and then uh, the Tigers came back and won the second game of the doubleheader. Peter and I had an awesome experience we stuck around well i don't i don't think we need to be telling the listeners all this they saw us at the game <laughs> true yeah we we made a tv appearance for the second game of the double header we moved down to i'm not exaggerating here five rows behind home plate mm-hmm. uh we were i guess we were kind of in between home plate and the the visitors dugout. but we tweeted out a picture at our twitter account of us um and you can't see us on tv so it's the closest I've ever sat for a game. Pretty neat experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the first game had about 30,000, 25,000, 30,000 fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, great atmosphere. Uh, very enjoyable experience. Great weather. The second game uh, was actually a postponement of Friday night's gamers. Going to be double or Friday. One of them got postponed to Saturday, and I said you could stay if you had tickets to Saturday. So we kind of lucked into it. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like maybe 80% of the crowd <laughs> Didn't know or just didn't want to stay for the second game, yeah because it started thirty minutes after uh the first game, and so Paul and I stuck around and uh moved down like paul said fibros from from the field uh, it was very cool um you know uh, Paul you're a white sox fan, so you know you might think oh it would be cool to to be next to the white sox I got we were we were next to the Tigers, but uh with Miguel Cabrera victor martinez um you know Osmus. Omar Vizquel is the first base coach for them. Right. I think it was cool to to see those guys up close and personal. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say my favorite moment of the game is uh, when the White Sox uh, uh, rookie, the center fielder. Adam um, Engel. Yep, he got his first hit, and uh, the bat boy for the Tigers uh, wasn't aware of it until he threw that ball into the crowd, and uh, uh, the White Sox – Uh, dugout went nuts Uh, rick runnery actually came out of the dugout to try to get the ball back Mm -hmm. which they eventually did but that was like you know maybe 20 feet from us right um and then uh worst moment uh there were some hecklers behind us yeah who for uh you know no joke four or five innings just between every pitch would shout at the tigers uh hitters Mm -hmm. to the point where some of the tigers hitters were like clearly uh, distracted by it and would look up towards the the hecklers Mm-hmm. who were drunk White Sox fans. Um, who eventually were kicked out in the middle of the ninth inning. Yeah, uh, White Sox were down 4-0 going into the ninth, scored three runs, uh, had runner on third with one out, and uh, Frazier and Engel both struck out to end the game. Yeah. But still a very enjoyable experience. Uh, we actually have a uh, listeners go to a game segment, uh, and we are the listeners. You know, Paul and I do this podcast, but we also listen to it uh, <laughs> because we are egomaniacs. And we recorded a segment at the White Sox game, so we'll play for the, play it for you after baseball on TV. Uh, but before baseball on TV, uh, you have any other uh, baseball items to yeah, discuss? Yeah, uh, one other nugget for me. Um, so we put in just under seven hours of baseball yesterday. And speaking of long uh, baseball playing days, did you realize that in the state of Illinois, just three hours away, there is a group that is trying to break the world record? for the longest baseball game ever played. I haven't heard about this. Uh, Did you hear this on NPR? I did not. The current record is 70 hours and 9 minutes. It's a game being played in Sauget, Illinois, which is right near St. Louis. It's to raise money for veterans. Um, They started playing at 8 a.m. on Friday. Uh, They'll wrap up at 10 a.m. on Monday. Uh, Each team has 25 players, so 50 players total are playing in shifts. And uh, most of the players are veterans. Uh, checked in this morning, St. Louis Post Dispatch has a writer there. Uh, the score as of 9 a.m. this morning was 279 to 174 in the 193rd inning. So it's going on right now. Right. Wow. Um, so best wishes. I think it's a great idea. Really cool way to raise money. I think they're at 93,000 out of the 100,000 that they were hoping to raise. And you can still donate. The website is worldmissioncontinues.org dot uh, org. That reminds us. Happy Memorial Day, right? Yeah. Uh, to all our listeners out there, uh, uh, in particular to the ones that have served in the military. I believe you know Veterans Day is is uh, intended for those that have served in the military. Memorial Day is more for those that have died, passed away. Yeah. But we kind of we kind merged treated, the two. Yeah. If we if we remember uh, <laughs> the purpose behind it at all. So, Happy Memorial Day. Uh, thanks to those that serve. Two things that I have before we get to uh, our last SNL week on baseball and TV. Harper versus Trout continues to be a uh, great update every week because both players are having great seasons. Trout has separated himself uh, with the top spots in the war leaderboard. He's at 3.5 wins above replacements, 342 average, 463 on base, 752 slugging. Pretty much exact same as what it was last week at this point. Uh, This past week, he walked eight times, so pitchers have started to to pitch around him. He is uh, Major League Baseball's home run leader with 16. Uh, He hit a uh, 456-foot shot on Saturday, his longest so far this season. Harper is also great, Uh, 2.6 war. Uh, I believe that's third overall. Uh, 15 home runs for him. Uh, He made news, though, on Saturday when he uh, was addressing a group of little leaguers before the the Nationals uh, game, he uh, told all of them that participation trophies uh, aren't real. Mm-hmm. It's all about winning. A tailor made storyline uh, to be posted all over Facebook. Uh, yeah, you mean because there's an appetite for people to push back against participation trophies as being like the the main thing that's wrong with our society. Uh, you know, obviously it's not the main thing, but you would say participation trophies are stupid. Stupid, but I don't. I don't really think they have any significance on the immoral the stature of our youth. Well said. Yeah. So good, good uh, seasons continue for Harper and Trout. And I would recommend, I've done this a few times, if you only have like a minute or two to catch up like on baseball highlights from the night before, just search Harper or Trout on Twitter mm-hmm. or on Google or whatever and watch highlights from the night before because chances are they did something that was pretty incredible all right i think this is our last david ross update uh he lost uh dancing with the stars he finished second overall um to uh the jaguars running back uh rashad jennings right Mm -hmm. i think that sounds right free agent running back rashad jennings so his his dancing career is over he's now a a espn baseball analyst Um, and he works for the Cubs, right Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, he's like a consultant for the Cubs. Um, A couple nuggets on him, though, uh, because it's our last Ross update. So Ross uh, said on the Mike and Mike show, uh, he was a a guest uh, this past week, uh, he said this about his Dancing with the Stars fame. He said, "Uh, it's been so strange. It's almost like people forget or don't even care I I played baseball. I go to the grocery store and and I hear people say, hey, that's Dancing with the Stars guy. I'm like, wait a minute. I won two World Series with the Boston Red Sox and Chicago Cubs. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, this is great. I thought Dancing with the Stars was bad for baseball. It was annoying that Ross was, like, famous. But now people are disassociating him from the Cubs. They don't even remember that he played for the Cubs. Hmm. So uh, I think this is good. Yeah, And and I think success of this segment on the podcast. (laughs) To point a potential hole in your... Uh, philosophy. Uh, I think the people that are coming up to him at the supermarket are people that had never watched baseball. And so now they're, and now they know him from dancing with the stars, but still they're, they're just saying, Hey, you're the dancing guy. You're not, Hey, you're the baseball player that's on Dancing with the stars. I guess I still think like Cubs. Well, my, my worry was like, not only would he be remembered by baseball fans as being, uh, you know, like the most famous Cubs player of that team. But then people that didn't watch that world series would, uh, get to know David Ross through the show, hmm. and then more people would associate him with yeah, the Cubs Yeah, there's probably been a slight increase in that segment, but uh, <laughs> I think still uh, quite a few Cubs fans, bandwagon Cubs fans, will associate Ross with the 2016 champs. Well, that's fine. It's just as long as he's not the most prominent player they remember from that team. Yeah. Well, let's do our part and never talk about him <laughs> ever again on the podcast. In uh, the second clip, uh, I'll just play for you from Mike and Mike. Uh, if you remember Anthony Rizzo, uh, uh, there's a famous video that went around during that game, very emotional. He goes up to Ross and says, you know, I'm, I'm so emotional right now, I feel like I'm in a glass cage of emotion, uh, referencing Anchorman, uh, but uh, Ross apparently didn't know that was a movie reference. Um, so I'll play for you the clip from Game 7 of the World Series, and then after that, Ross's explanation on Mike and Mike.
1: Talk to him. I can't control myself right now. I'm trying my it's, best. It's understandably so, buddy. I'm emotional. I hear you. I'm, I'm an emotional wreck. Oh, well, it's only going to get worse. Just continue to breathe. That's all you can do, buddy. That's all you rough. can do. It's only going to get I'm worse. i glass case of emotions right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait till the ninth with this three-run lead. In, in Game 7 of the World Series, there is a moment, the microphones and the cameras captured it, where Rizzo comes over to you, and he's freaking out. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm so emotional, and you're telling him, I'm oh, wait, this is going to get worse and worse. And he says, I'm in a glass case of emotion. <laughs> It does not appear obvious to me that you recognize this is a line from a movie. Did you know that at the time, and at what point did you find out he was doing a line from a movie? No, I didn't know. At the time, I was just like I – was, I was in a, a whole wreck of emotions in myself. You yeah. know? I'm just trying to keep myself calm, and he's coming up. And terrible advice by me, like, oh, it's only going to get worse. Like, Way to go, <laughs> veteran guy. Like, you know, Way to calm him down. But uh, Tommy was laughing. He knew the Anchorman theme, and Tommy told me right after he had left, and he didn't play it. But he was like that – that, like, was, that was a line from Anchorman. I was like, oh, man – And I didn't pick up on it. I was so locked into the game. And uh, we had a good laugh about it. Riz was giving me me crap. He goes, you were more nervous than I was. But you didn't even recognize I was dropping movie lines. I was like, dude, I was locked in. I just wanted to win. I was was a nervous wreck too.
0: Moving on to baseball on TV. It's a segment we do each week on the podcast. Uh, We look at a baseball-themed episode of a TV show. Uh, It's our last SNL week, the month of... May has been all SNL, Saturday Night Live, baseball sketches or hosts, so you can go back and listen to past ones that we did, have really enjoyed this, but um, uh, this week we're going to do a couple more skits. Before we play those for you, uh, next week we have a big surprise for you, so stay tuned, Um, stay alert, Uh, big surprise on Baseball TV next week, Uh, you can look forward to. This week we are going to play Will Ferrell doing a Harry Carey impression, reacting to the... Uh, steroid scandal in 2009, and then uh, the famous uh, Jeff Goldblum clip back in the early 2000s.
1: Last week, Major League Baseball was rocked by yet another steroid scandal, as Manny Ramirez was suspended for 50 games for taking a banned substance. Here now to discuss the issue of steroids in baseball, the ghost of Harry Carey. (laughs) Hi! Hi, everybody! Hi! Hey, guys. Hey, gang. Harry Carey here. From the afterlife. And I got to tell you, folks, being dead is fantastic. It's the best thing that ever happened to me. It's like heaven. It's like heaven or it is heaven? Let's not get caught up in a semantics argument, Seth. The fact is, it's great. Well, um, that's good. I'm glad to hear it. Hi! You know what they use for currency in heaven? Angel bucks. You always have 100 angel bucks in your wallet. And even after you pay for something, you still have 100 angel bucks. I don't even know what the point is. I guess they they figured that even in heaven, people like having wallets. So, how do you feel about the whole Manny Ramirez situation, Harry? Hey, Seth, don't you think Manny Ramirez looks like the monster from Predator? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess his hair sort of does make... Uh... I mean, based on his size and strength, I, I bet the Predator monster would make a pretty good ball player. Okay. I mean, the fear would be that he would kill all the other players. I mean, I guess you could ask him not to but I think he'd probably just tell you what you wanted to hear. Do you think you could trust him, Seth? What? Hey, don't jerk me around, Seth. It's a simple yes or no question. If the Predator Monster promised he wouldn't kill the other players, would you put him in the game? No. Good call, Seth. I mean, I think eventually his hunter instincts would be too hard to resist. Okay, do you feel like the continuing steroid scandals are tarnishing baseball? I've been talking about this very question a lot with my roommate in heaven, baseball great Pete Rose.
2: Pete Rose isn't dead.
1: You're kidding. I am not. That really burns me. I just... I just paid that guy 100 angel bucks for, for some memorabilia. He duped me. Although now that I think about it, there were some signs that he might not have been who he said he was. What signs? Well, he, d- he didn't seem to know much about baseball, and he was Asian. Come to think of it, he might never have even told me he was Pete Rose. I just, I just assumed it. <laughs> do, you have any, do you have anything else to add? Just this Waterboarding is torture, Seth It's like the one thing That everyone in heaven agrees on oh, That came out of nowhere Not really It popped into my head Because I'm going to waterboard Asian Pete Rose When I get back to my room <laughs> I mean Heaven or no heaven I don't like getting duped, Seth Harry Carey, everyone Come on! <laughs> everybody. Harry Carey here. And welcome to Space the Infinite Frontier. We've got a great show lined up for you. Joining us in the studio today, all the way from Caltech, is astrophysicist Dr. Ken Waller. Welcome to the show, Ken. Thanks so much. It's nice being here. Now, now doctor, recently they've discovered that there might be life on one of the moons of Jupiter now that's gotta be exciting for you oh yeah harry we're we're thrilled to discover that life can theoretically exist uh below the surface of planets due to the heat caused by volcanic activity that's something else Hi. let me ask what's your favorite planet well i I don't have a favorite uh i find them all fascinating they're all part of a mine's the sun always has been. I like it cuz it's like the king of planets. Well, mm, actually Harry, it's not a not a planet, it's a star. Well, planet or star, when that thing burns out, we're all going to be dead. Well, that's that's true, but it's not going to burn out for a very long time, of course. I hope not. Hey, doctor, have you ever seen an eclipse? Oh, uh, yeah, I have seen many. Yes. You know, if you stare at it head-on, it'll burn your eyes out. Well, it's not, not, not best to stare at at the sun during an eclipse, you know. It? But it's hard not to. I once took a pair of binoculars and stared at the sun for over an hour. Why would you do that? Curiosity, I guess. Heck, I'm curious like a cat. I have a couple of friends that call me Whiskers. Because you're curious like a cat? Yes. Hey, now, kid. we all know that the moon is not made of green cheese.
2: Yes, that's true, Harry.
1: But, but what if it were made of barbecue spare ribs? Would you eat it then? What? I know I would. Heck, I'd have seconds. And then, then polish it off with a tall, cool Budweiser. <laughs> I would do it. Yeah, yeah. Would you? i'm confused it's a simple question doctor would you eat the moon if it were made of ribs well, i don't I, I don't know how to answer that it's not rocket science just say yes and we'll move on
2: yes
0: the closeout uh snl uh month on the podcast uh gonna play for you one of my favorite snl um parody commercials uh dane cook did a bunch of promos for the 2007 playoffs do you remember this paul Mm, i do not for tbs you don't remember these uh no well you will after this uh i just i remember uh, breaking bad guy doing some some promo brian cranston Mm -hmm. Uh, paul always culturally relevant (laughs) uh dane cook 2007 playoffs did all these awful tbs promos and uh, SNL made fun of him for it. So going to play for you the real clip and then the SNL clip to close out Saturday Night Live month.
1: October's in the air. So do you like pennant race baseball or what? All the heart
0: and soul has paid off.
1: Diamondbacks for the Western Division. of the Central. The, have the NL Division Series is here. The Rockets, Arizona, the Cubs, the Phillies. They are psyched and ready. Upgrade Let the postseason begin. They're going crazy. What a finish. There's only one postseason. There's only one fall classic. There's only one October. Yes, it all comes down to this. Nine games, five innings, one strike. It's the Colorado Rockies versus the Arizona D-Bags. Arizona's goal, scoring goals, baseball goals. Brandon Webb, Spider-Man reference. And there's probably a player named Ramirez. Meanwhile, the Rockies haven't been this good since they beat Hulk Hogan and Mr. T in the same movie. Todd Helton shouldn't have a batting average. He should have a batting outstanding. The Diamondbacks versus the Colorado Rockies. I'm pretty sure one of them's a hockey team. Which one? You'll have to watch to find out. Because there's 20 guys on the field, but there's only one baseball Grammy. There's only one October, and there are 300 of these promos. All
0: right, this is Peter and Paul live at the White Sox Uh, Tigers game Saturday nights. It's our uh, list. Listener at a game segment, but we're the listeners this week. Uh, Paul, how's it going? It's going great. We're like six rows back, second game of doubleheader. I think we're in the hour five of baseball today. Uh, we are ten feet from Miguel Cabrera right now. Yeah. Pretty exciting. Very exciting. Uh, Yeah, the White Sox took Game 1, and they are currently down 1-0 in the top of the fifth in Game 2. We love you, Miggy! Miggy, great with the fans. Uh, I think White Sox fans are actually outnumbered by Tigers fans right here at this point. Uh, Yeah, I had an all-you-can-eat buffet before the game. We tweeted it. Go find pictures. The food was pretty terrible. I wouldn't say it was terrible, but the, the the all you can drink beer and pop was, was mediocre not above nice. average. I would say. Paul, do you know Ron Karkavice hit a leadoff homer in the fifth to uh, beat the Tigers one nothing in 1995 on this date? I did not. There you go. Alrighty, anything else to give the listeners? Uh, look forward to breaking down the game a little bit more on the podcast tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Let us know if you go to a game so we can call you. Yeah, this is the fourth, fourth week in a row. Here comes Miguel Cabrera up to bats in the fifth inning. So, hoping for a home run. Peace. First base going to 24. Miguel Cabrera. For Out of the Box this week, I read an article from USA Today by Brent uh, Schrotenborg. Nailed it. Uh, it's called... Stadium deaths, are Major League Baseball facilities safe enough? Uh, So in light of a recent death at a Cubs game two weeks ago where a 42-year-old fell over a railing as he was walking down from the upper deck, uh, Schrotenbohr digs into the details about baseball stadium safety, specifically looking at railings and the upper deck. Um, So since 1969, which is as far back as the data goes, um, Pete, do you have any idea how many... Uh, deaths there have been at MLB parks from like falling over a railing. Morbid question. Uh, so not anything but just falling over the railing. Right. Not like. From a, from the upper deck. Right. So the last uh, like 50 years-ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll say about one a year. I'll say 50. 25. So mm-hmm. less than you thought. So not an issue. Moving on. <laughs> My uh, article this week on Fun f- The Box. A few of the facts. Oh, because one death is too many. Uh, um, uh, a few of the facts that Schrotenborg lays out. So, there's a current lawsuit uh, against the Atlanta Braves on behalf of a family of a fan who fell from the upper deck at Turner Field in 2015. The general standard for all uh, buildings set by the International Building Code is that a railing be 42 inches tall when it's protecting fans from a fall of at least 30 inches. However, there is an exception for stadiums where there are spectators that are seated, and the exception says that railings only have to be 26 inches tall. So the general standard, 42 inches for railings uh, in stadiums where there's seats, the, the standard is 26 inches. Um, so all stadiums are obviously in compliance with that 26 inches, but then that still leaves a gap of uh, 16 inches between what the, the general standard is. And that's where you have the lawsuit in Atlanta and you have um, other people uh, maybe questioning how safe Major League Baseball stadiums are. Uh, in 2011, a fan died in Texas by falling over a 33-inch railing. This one is probably the most sad that I've come across. It was a dad in his early 30s who fell over. He was sitting in the first row of the upper deck, fell over the railing um, trying to get a, uh, a foul ball for his mm. son where is it at uh texas Hmm. um and after that the rangers decided to invest 1.1 million to raise the rails throughout the stadium to the the 42 inches that's the standard by the international building code um they are the only stadium the only team to have done that uh the the issue is if you raise the railings in the upper deck to that 42 inches it obstructs views and obviously fans don't like that um Many safety experts point out that the, the the 26 inch minimum exception was set in the 1920s when Americans were shorter on average, and they point out that the 42 inch minimum would come up to the stomach of someone who is five foot nine, which is the height, the average height of an American male. Um, one final thing to consider: obviously, alcohol uh, is involved here. The fan who died at the Braves game in 2015 was legally intoxicated and. There's not data for all 25 cases that I mentioned earlier, but um, obviously you can speculate that a lot of those were uh, brought about, at least in part, by alcohol. So it's a kind of a nuanced question that uh, Shortenbor poses. But um, yeah, to answer his question, are MLB facilities safe? Um, I would say generally yes, that you can't um, sort of uh, overreact, you might say, to, to one or two. Uh, deaths where a fan is being unsafe. You know, even the the sad case in Texas that I pointed out. Obviously, a fan is is reaching over um, the railing that he's not supposed to. So I would say yes, Pete. Do you answer the question likewise, or yeah, I think so. I mean, there's a ton of games every year. You know, mm-hmm. each team's got 81 home games to have 25 deaths in. You know, probably maybe a hundred thousand. Games since nineteen sixty nine you know whatever it's too many, but um you wouldn't want anyone to die at a baseball game, but um i don't think it's like a huge priority yeah. to fix that I think maybe the, uh, one thing you could focus on is just not over serving people alcohol that seems to be a main thing, yeah. especially you know if upper deck sections maybe if they could cut off alcohol earlier than like lower sections yeah I've i mean thought- but I mean like those people are most likely getting in their cars and driving, which is awful too mhm um, yeah, I was surprised I didn't come across any cases of uh, of kids falling. You know that would have been the saddest. Yeah. And I always get paranoid, like when I'm at you know baseball or basketball games of that happening. But I I didn't come across any of those. Yep. Uh, if you're at a baseball game, uh, don't be an idiot. Don't get drunk and uh, don't lean over the railing. Yep. All right. Uh, this week, my favorite article to write of my own was about the Ephis pitch. On Tuesday, I uh, did a critique of Zach Granke's so-called EFIS pitch. Hot take. Uh, you know, went viral. If you ser- search <laughs> EFIS on Twitter or Google right now, you will see Zach Greinke come up. Oh, I thought you were saying your article went viral. Oh, no. Well, maybe it did. Greinke's pitch was not an EFIS. Greinke's pitch was a 65-mile-per-hour curveball. An EFIS, as defined by Wikipedia, is a 55-mile-per-hour pitch or less so, Granky would have to throw it much slower. And, in my mind, a, a true EFIS is one that you throw very high into the air and have it drop in the strike zone. Mm-hmm. And I included a couple examples of what I deem real EFIS pitches in the article. So, you can check those out. You know, Kershaw apparently threw an EFIS pitch a couple of years ago, but, again, it was just a slow curveball. You know, those aren't EFIS. An EFIS is when you slow-pitch softball style, throw it in the air. Do you, do, you, do you agree with me, Paul? Are, uh, you, you, are you with me? Yes. Is there a specific grip for the Ephus, or is it just defined no. by speed? No. I think speed and uh, throwing it high into the air. To me, the arc of the pitch is more important than the speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. The novelty wears off a little bit if you call a, a 65-mile-an-hour fastball slow. Because, I mean, Jared Weaver has probably had a couple mid-60s curveballs this year. His no, fastball I... tops out at like 83. Yeah. So. Yeah, you're not gonna call those Ephesus. So. Mm-hmm. That was actually against the White Sox. Mm-hmm. On a he struck out a White Sox player, right? Yeah. Pitched great. He's having a good season, so nothing against Granke uh or his performance this year. It's just it's not an ephus, So stop calling it an Ephis. Solving the world's problems. Yeah. Case closed. All right, moving on to my article uh that I read. Uh it's from Rob Arthur at 538.com. The title of the article is Pitchers Are Slowing Down to Speed Up, and uh, it's uh, kind of a a mixed bag of MLB interesting stats. And so uh, I'll talk about uh, the idea that uh, pitchers are slowing down to speed up, but I also have a couple other fun stat nuggets from Rob Arthur. So first, the main point of the article was talking about the average delay between pitches and how that uh, affects a pitcher's velocity. And there's actually some evidence that shows if you take more time in between pitches, you throw harder, Hmm. which is not good for uh, pace of play people. There's actually a strategic advantage to um, taking more time in between pitches. Who knew? Pedro Baez is on, on to something. Yeah, I think if I had to guess, I would have said that was accurate. Is it a dramatic increase? No, but like every little bit counts. So if a whole team did it, it would be pretty significant. Hmm. Uh, so the average delay in between pitches is up a full second uh, from last year, compared with 2007. The average MLB pitcher now holds the ball a full two seconds longer in between pitches, which of course, if you extrapolate that over the course of a full game or a full season, is just a ton of dead time. Uh, so Arthur, you know, did a bunch of math stuff to, to see that, um, to find that velocity is higher for pitchers that take more time. And all of this, I think, is is the main reason you will see a pitch clock in baseball as soon as next year. Manfred um, tried to get players on board, and I think he still will try to, to get some approval from them, but he doesn't need it uh, starting next year. He can, he can um, kind of do whatever he wants um, based on CBA and stuff like that. So I think a pitch clock is coming, um, and I think the main reason is it's advantageous for pitchers to take more time, so you have to... Create a rule that would prevent them from taking, mm-hmm. you know, additional. Like, there's no end in sight for, for all of this, um, right? In my opinion. Uh, a couple other fun nuggets from the article, and I encourage you to go check it out. We'll link to it on the podcast episode page. But uh, BABIP batting average of balls in play, is at a 14-year low. Um, so batting average of balls in play is down to 294. It was uh, 300 last year. A lot of theories on why this is. Uh, Paul, do you have any? Uh, shi- shifts would probably be the biggest one. The teams are better at positioning players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, also just less more of like, uh, what do they call it? True outcome guys. Yeah. So more guys that just hit home runs or strike out or, or walk. walk. Yeah. So any ball that's put in play isn't going to be hit as hard. So it's a pop up or, you know, a mm-hmm. weak ground ball or something. Yeah, I agree. Those are both good. And, uh, we'll follow that as the season goes on. Last one, uh, going into Sunday, uh, Clayton Kershaw has had more three out counts this year as a batter than as a pitcher. Wow. Uh, so he pitches against the Cubs today, so that might might change, but um, yeah, more three out counts as a hitter than as a pitcher this year for Clayton Kershaw. That does it for Out of the Box. Uh, next up, TWTW.
1: When you can put some of those categories, you know, you got your OBPS and all that and the VORPs. When they put in TWTW TW, and then interface those numbers with TWTW TW, under that category, then you might have something cooking. What, what, what TW of, is... Yeah, what is that? That's the will to win.
0: All right. Uh, for the next couple weeks, we are going to look at one specific topic for TWTW, and that's home field advantage in baseball. And uh, the thought kind of dawned on me at the doubleheader yesterday. As I mentioned, the, the second game... Pretty sparsely attended. Towards the end of the game, there were maybe three to 400 fans left. And I just thought to myself, like, is there really any advantage, uh, home field advantage for the White Sox in this game? And obviously they lost, so you could say no. But it got me thinking about uh, home field advantage in general in baseball. Yeah, the the numbers are, on average, and this goes back to 1990, so during our lifetime. Like 56%? Uh, home teams win 53% of the hmm. time actually 53.9, so almost 54% of the time home teams win. Conversely, uh, teams on the road lose around 46% of the time, or win 46% of the the time. Um, But I wanted to look at individual teams over that time span, so over around the last 25 years since 1990. So I have the top uh, teams that have the greatest home field advantage and the teams that have almost no home field advantage. Uh, To do this, I did a little bit of uh, math stuff, I believe, as you referred to uh, Rob Arthur earlier. Obviously not as smart as the 538 guys, but uh, to do this, my uh, theory or my strategy whatever, I looked at teams' winning percentage when they played their games at home, and then I took that and subtracted from it by their overall winning percentage. So, for example, the Yankees had a home winning percentage of 607, which was the best in those 27 years. But their overall winning percentage was also the best. And so that's not really a home field advantage. There's not really any advantage per se. They were great on the road. They were great at home. They are just a good team in general over those 25 years. Sure. These are relative winning percentages. And so you're, you're looking at the advantage as opposed to just the best winning percentage. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So the top five, Pete, do you have any guesses? Number one should be fairly obvious. Really? Mm-hmm. Um... Hmm. most talked about most talked about most unique Fenway no most unique setting San Francisco give you one more guess Oakland no no don't say it don't say it uh most unique park most unique setting most unique geographical setting Uh, a dome negative oh uh Colorado yes Uh, Colorado, the Rockies have by far the best home field advantage. Uh, Their overall winning percentage since 1990 is uh, 468, but they have a home winning percentage of 542, so a jump of over 7 percentage points. Uh, The number two team was somewhat surprising to me. It's the Houston Astros. They have a jump of around 5 percentage points. And then others that were just below that 5 percentage mark, the Pirates, the Rangers, and the rays tampa bay rays i uh, thought up briefly about an explanation for those obviously the rockies that's self-explanatory the the altitude changes things there they're more used to playing there so they're going to be better houston kind of loud and goofy they used to have the hill in center field porch in left field they might be better at uh, playing with those things and other teams same thing with tampa bay in the dome texas is the hottest park in baseball so i think Players for the Rangers might be more used to the humid setting, um, mm-hmm. but really, I had no guess about PNC. Uh, maybe something to look into in the future. Uh, the teams with the worst home field advantage or a non-existent advantage—the uh, the worst three were the Royals, the Orioles, and the Cincinnati Reds. All of those had a jump of uh, less than two and a half percentage points between regular winning percentage, and home field winning percentage. So I found that kind of interesting. Takeaways, the Rockies have a legit advantage playing all their games at home, as do the Astros, Pirates, Rangers, and the Rays. So that is the first installment of TWTW about home field advantage. Next week, I will look at it again. Look forward to that. Um, Next up on the podcast, we have sounds of the Game.
1: to deep right field Evans back at the wall gone
0: that was Vince Skoy calling Daryl Strawberry's uh, home run in game 7 of the 1986 World Series Uh, So we're going to talk about the uh, MLB draft today with uh, Jeff Ellis of scout.com at the end of the episode. So for Sounds of the Game this week, I thought it would be fun to look at number one overall picks. So Daryl Strawberry himself was a number one overall pick by the Mets in 1980. And uh, this week's Sounds of the Game segment is just going to be a montage of first home runs by uh, first overall picks in the Major League Baseball draft. So a lot of hype is around Hunter Green. Hunter Green. Uh, Probably will go first overall this year. We will ask Jeff about him um, later. But here is just a uh, compilation of number one overall uh, hitters in their first uh, home runs in baseball. Next week, um, we will do uh, first overall pitchers in their um, first (laughs) uh, strikeout or something like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, here is first overall picks in their first home runs in Major League Baseball.
1: It's It's like fastball. 3 2 pitch. Curveball belted deep to left field, and Alex Rodriguez has number one in the show. And it is 8 4. He came back with a breaking ball. A curveball, and Alex Rodriguez hit it out. High, oh, high. Number one for Alex Rodriguez.
2: Puts the Reds right in business.
1: Deep right field. That ball is crushed and gone. And another minor milestone, if you will, but I'm sure it feels major to Josh Hamilton. Fighting for his life to get back to the big leagues, he makes it, and his first Major League home run. Well, what a great story that is. Don't tell Edgar Gonzalez that, but... No. I mean, you can't help but feel good for that kid. Just a hanging change up right in the middle of the plate. Josh Hamilton, congratulations to your first big league tater. And now has made the club and is going to play in center field for them. Whoops, that one to left field. First swing is deep. Kittle back. Goodbye home run. His first swing at the Kingdom. Stauffer from the windup. And that ball is blasted. Center field. There's number one. And several more hundred to follow, we hope. The Nats lead four to one. That dugout's fired up for Bryce Harper. I thought he might get the silent treatment right there. And everybody just as excited as we are to see the first home run from number 34 and it was a missile to straightaway center field And folks that's exactly what I was talking about. He's got the kind of pop He doesn't need to go leg kick and the fans want to come out of the dugout for a curtain call. Yeah, this is a For sure curtain call here Danny Espinosa doing his best to step out of the batter's box and give Bryce a second. There he is Congratulations his first in the big leagues, so he now has two hits, in RBI, a stolen base, and he has just hammered one to left field, high and deep. Watch this one. See ya. Carlos Correa, his first Major League home run, and he hit a bomb.
0: So it's time for our second annual Memorial Day trade deadline game. For those of you that weren't around last year, this is where Paul and I go back and forth drafting players that we think will be traded um, uh, before the end of the season, and we track plate appearances and innings pitched. The winner is simply the one that has the the most innings pitched and plate appearances combined. Last year, we drafted 10 players each. Paul had five players uh, of his 10 get traded, and I only had two. So rough first year, Paul won... Uh, Pretty easily. Uh, Around 400 to 200 was the final tally. Uh, Rich Hill was the first overall pick. I had James Shields. After that, it was kind of a crapshoot. So this year, we're going to do it again. And uh, it's Memorial Day. So this is the Memorial Day trade deadline game. Uh, Paul, you had the first overall pick last year. So I think I will have it this year. Go for it. And uh, we snake it. So you will have the second and third overall picks. So with the first pick in the 2017 Memorial Day trade deadline game, I will take Sonny Gray of the Oakland Athletics. To the Cubs? Uh, I think he will get traded. I don't have to say what team. I know. I'm just. Yeah, I think think the Cubs will give a lot, and Gray is pitching well right now, so he would be, um, I think, their first target. Uh, My pick, second pick, first overall pick for me, is Zach Kozart shortstop for the Reds? He wasn't even on my big board. Wow, differing philosophies. And then my second pick will be uh Lorenzo Kane hmm. of the Royals. Give me uh David Robertson of the White Sox, and also give me Derek Holland of the White Sox. And if the White Sox do not trade, those two, then they are idiots. <laughs> I agree. Uh, I'll go two A's, Jed Lowry and Yonder Alonzo. Also not on my big board. All right, so this is picks four and five. I'll go Jeremy Hellickson of the Phillies and give me Tony Watson of the Pirates. They have a, a guy named Felipe Rivera, who's going to take over the closer job. Just as good as Watson. Uh, J.D. Martinez. Mm. He's a good one. Tigers and Marcel Ozuno of the Marlins. Now, we saw Martinez uh, yesterday. Did you get some intel from watching him? I did not, but I did get tired of the fans behind us asking him and Victor Martinez, who batted right after one another. Who the better Martinez was. That joke. was Same with Melky and Miguel Cabrera. Yes. Give me Andrew McCutcheon. If somebody wants him, I think the Pirates will give him up. Let's go Nelson Cruz. He's not a free agent, is he? I'm not sure of his contract status, but um, Mariners need to blow it up, and I think that they will. Give me Melky Cabrera. He's having a terrible season. Yeah, not good. (laughs) And Josh Harrison of the Pirates. Huh. He's in a good contract. Which makes him a great trade asset. Sure. I'm at eight. Are you also at eight? I'm at seven. Okay. Give me Brad Hand, relief pitcher for the Padres. And give me Brad Bach, relief pitcher for the Orioles. Wrapping up my team, give me Todd Frazier. (laughs) Oh. Who... What playoff team will want Todd Frazier as their third baseman? Home run today. And lastly, Jose Quintana of the mm. of the White Darn. Sox. Darn. He should have went much higher. Mm. There's a lot of speculation that the White Sox aren't going to trade him. You know why they're not going to trade him. Why is that? He was not involved <laughs> in the Drake LaRoche incident. They yeah. still have not traded anyone that wasn't involved in that. Oh, yeah, but... They've said all along that there's no urgency. They're going okay. wait, to wait to get. They also haven't traded Robertson. All right, so my last pick. uh oh, boy. Got a lot of good players there. There's rumors about Verlander getting dealt. Rumors about Jeff Samarja, Johnny Cueto. Give me Trevor Cahill uh, of the Padres. He has been great this year. A lot of strikeouts. Um, so I think he'll... Uh, He'll get a lot of innings down the stretch. So my team, uh, Sonny Gray, David Robertson, Derek Holland, Jeremy Hellickson, Tony Watson, uh, Andrew McCutcheon, Nelson Cruz, Brad Hand, Brad Bach, and uh, Trevor Cahill. Paul, you have Cozart, Kane, Lowry, Alonzo, J.D. Martinez, Marcelo Zuna, Melky Cabrera, Josh Harrison, and... Frazier and Quintana. Yeah, Frazier and Quintana. Uh, But we'll track that. Thanks for following along. Let us know if we miss someone egregious. Perhaps you can draft a team yourself that is better than both of us. That does it for the second annual Memorial Day trade deadline game. Next up, uh, we have our guest for this week, Jeff Ellis of Scout.com. The MLB draft is coming up on June 12th, and uh, I feel like uh, I don't know much about the draft this year. Outside of Hunter Green, Um, We haven't talked about it a ton. So we wanted to get uh, an overview from an MLB draft expert, and Jeff is one of the best out there. So we hope that you enjoy our interview with Jeff Ellis. This week's guest on the podcast is Jeff Ellis. He's an MLB draft expert. You can follow him on Twitter at JeffMLBDraft and find his work at Scout.com. Welcome to our podcast, Jeff.
2: Thanks for having me on.
0: Appreciate the time. Uh, I guess before we get into the draft, a little bit more about your role. Do you focus more on uh, prep talent, college, scouting? Um, Is it just MLB draft? What's kind of your main focus?
2: Yeah, I I try to, as much as I can, focus on kind of the the top few rounds. Um, I'm based out of Ohio, so a lot of my focus is often sometimes on players I can go see and um, I tend to lean more college than prep uh, just because it's easier to get numbers and or video. Um, so once you get beyond the top 60 or so prep guys, it's, it's a lot harder to get reliable information on a, a weekly basis. So in, in terms of what I do, I, I do like to hit everyone that I think has a chance at the top three rounds and then kind of go back from there with a, a leaning towards college. And then I look at numbers a lot as well. Um, because I think there's, no matter the situation, there's things you can gain, especially with college players, in terms of uh, you know, how good they, they are in terms of understanding of the zone. Um, you know, if a guy is striking out 30% of the time in college, it's probably not a good indicator of what's going to happen when they get to the minors.
0: Awesome. How, uh, how long have you been following um, MLB draft stuff?
2: Gosh, When you go back, to it's one of those things that I remember around 2005, 2006, I started following it. Um, I started writing around 2010, um, and then I took over at Scout three years ago, and that was uh, a very fortunate situation, just because Kylie uh, McDaniel, who's now mm-hmm. works for the Braves, had just left, and um, you know there were some connections in place, and Scout had a, a good framework, and that just helped. But uh, like the last three years, have really been much more of a focus. As Scout's given me the platform, but since about 2010. Um, as a writer, at least doing mocks and things like that, um, I can't comment on how good some of that early stuff was. But, uh, <laughs>
0: you know Yeah Paul and Paul and I are both uh, scout.com subscribers. Uh, Illinois has a, a really good um, Scout website, so I appreciate your content and I'm glad that you know with my subscription I can I can read all your stuff. The, looking at the the draft um, this year, the 2017 draft, overall, uh, what's the outlook? Um, is it a really good draft? Is it kind of impossible to tell, you know, unlike maybe like an NBA draft where it's, you can see the talent, um, uh, pan out pretty quickly. Um, just what's the overall draft look like maybe compared to the past few years?
2: Yeah, I've seen some things where some people don't like it. I, I kind of like this year's draft. I understand that there is, um, you know, like every year, some guys have taken steps back and we've seen that with someone like Jaron Kendall, um, coming to mind or, uh, you know Kyle Wright and Alex Fado didn't exactly start the year on fire either, and Tristan Back we haven't seen at all. That's so like four guys who had potential, who had top ten talk heading into the season that have all, uh, to varying degrees, had some scuffling. Though at this point, Kyle Wright being looks like a lock for a top four pick, so he's, that scuffling is is evened out. Um, the lack of college bats um, is one of those things that is. I think to uh, some regard has caused some people to not enjoy the, uh, think that this isn't as strong of a draft. Um, once you get past, you know, but depending on how you look at, uh, Brandon McKay as a pitcher or a hitter, you have the, uh, Pavin Smith, Adam Hazley combo at, uh, Virginia. And then it's kind of the grab bag. If you like Jake Berger for his power, if you think Jaron Kendall is fixable with his tools. If you like Gira's bat you're with the defensive issues, <laughs> um, it's it's such a deep class in arms, um, specifically college arms, though, that that's one of the reasons I really like this class. I think teams into the third round are going to get an interesting pitcher. Um, I've been working on my top 101 uh, for the past week, and one of my latest cuts is Ricky Tyler Thomas from Fresno State, who... Lower uh, division, not lower division, lower conference, but uh, really strong numbers in terms of strikeouts. Doesn't walk a lot of guys. One of those guys that looks like a, a decent chance to be a back-end starter type. But in spite of – and he's a left-hander, which is always bonus points, but still couldn't quite get in the top 100 um, for me just because of the depth. So after Hunter Green and Brendan McKay, the top is a little shaky. and you know, It's maybe not the best year to pick three to seven. Um Pretty much everyone has some kind of massive red flag with those prospects, but in terms of overall depth, I think it's, I like the depth this year more than last year. Um, obviously, two years ago was probably the best top 10 we've had uh, since in a few years, but the funny thing was back in 2015, we didn't think that top 10 was necessarily all that great at the time, so. We'll have to see how things play out. But I think it's a good class. I think it's a good year to have, especially a good year to have
0: multiple picks. The the top player on your board at least a couple weeks ago was uh, Florida righty Alex Fado. Is he still your number one? And, you know, what is it about him that that you like? Or maybe is there a major league comp that comes to mind when you talk about him?
2: You know, I've moved down Fado. Um, He's still a top five guy. I'm not going to completely jump off of him. Uh, He was... I know I wasn't alone with having him the number one prospect. He had arthroscopic knee surgery on both knees in the winter, and I don't think we've seen him at his best. I mean, statistically last year, he was number two in the country in strikeouts. He was there with AJ Puck and Logan Shore, who were both extremely high picks last year, and uh, he was the top pitcher on that staff. Florida is an excellent place to get your pitchers from to do such a strong job in development. And the fastball slider, I both thought were potential plus pitches um, like a really good chance it's you know we say potential plus and sometimes you say that with guys where we know it's likely not going to happen because of control or command issues but I thought that especially entering the year that Beto was going to be a high likelihood plus fastball plus slider guy with a change up as uh maybe a 50 55 grade uh pitch with him you know performance has been a bit up and down Fado, you know, there is, I think, the concern performance relative to the, the knees and just the importance of, you know, a pitcher's knees in general. They're going to scare some teams. I still think he's a top five guy. I still think that his best is yet to come. Um, and that there is a potential number one there just with his fastball slider combo. I had to put Hunter Green up at the top and, and join the consensus. The only knock on him at this point is the fact that. He's a high school prep arm, and they are, outside of movie high school catcher, the riskiest position in the draft. Um, and that's not anything you can put on Green himself. It's just the nature of the draft. So he's, I moved him up, moved um, Fado, I think I have, fourth or fifth, and then kind of the usual suspects, of like McKay up there and Wright and Royce Lewis. and uh, I think right now we're seeing kind of a crystallization of the top four with the way this draft's going.
0: Yeah, you talk about Green. Uh, he's definitely the most hyped prospect. Uh, you know, the Sports Illustrated feature about a month ago now um, really put a lot of focus on him. Uh, it seems like you're not totally buying into the rumor that the Twins uh, aren't going to take him first overall. He wants to play for the Padres, which would be third overall, but it doesn't seem like he'd pa- fall past two. Um, if you had to guess, would you say that uh, he goes to the Twins? Um, and and I guess you kind of answered the question, but do you think he is the real deal? Is the hype worth it?
2: You know, just the reason why I still think he could go to the Twins is having talked to a few people. Um, you know, it's it's <coughs> excuse me, again. I don't know anyone high up in that organization, so I don't want to make it present myself as something that's not true. But having talked to a few people in the organization, they've been high on him from day one, is what we were told, and. When you look at uh, Derek Falvey, who comes from the Indians, and I'm blanking on who he brought in from the Rangers. Um, But the Indians and the Rangers are maybe two organizations more than anyone else in the last four years. have looked at youth and ceiling and athleticism above everything else. And, you know, Kyle Wright maybe makes a degree of sense there. We're seeing him in more mocks because he has kind of had an up-and-down year and there is more ceiling. And I love Brendan McKay. I think he is such a safe pitcher. But he is not an upside ceiling guy, so it doesn't quite fit what we've seen. It would be a strong departure from the the heads of this organization. So that's why I still think from the beginning, I thought Green made the most sense to the Twins all the way back till I think my first mock or first talk of a mock I did was in September. And it's just knowing front offices and most guys, when they leave their former team, they tend to follow the same approach um and foul v actually the indians took will benson kind of a surprise pick high but he was uh, 17 on draft day all the ceiling in the world and if you look at the rangers that's the same thing they've done so i still i'm inclined to believe green there at this point so um, i hear something strongly different um i'm going to stick with that i could see kyle Wright. i don't see mckay as much there I talked to someone, I have a friend who talked to this Hunter recently, and they asked him, so what's the deal with Cincinnati? He goes, Cincinnati's a great town. Um, what you feel like in Minnesota? It's a wonderful place. Like He'll go anywhere, but the feeling is that maybe San Diego would have a lower bonus demand. So if somebody like Minnesota feels like they don't want to invest a huge amount in his bonus demand, I haven't heard a hard number on yet, so I wouldn't want to guess or give out something that isn't 100% backed up. But it's going to be a high demand. So if they do move off, that's the only reason I can see why. And then I think in his world, he could slide to San Diego. I do think he's the real deal. In this process, you get to hear every single thing that's wrong with the kid. That's just the nature of uh, the draft process is they're trying to find every little bit of information. And nothing has come out on on Hunter. I mean, the biggest knock on him right now is he decided to stop pitching, which to some teams is a bonus because, I mean, less wear and tear on his arm. They already know what he is. Just the athleticism, if he was – a shortstop, he'd probably still be a top ten pick in this draft just because of his athletic ability there and the velocity on the fastball. It's uh, he should be a fun kid to watch, and I know I'm going to be rooting for him just because of the uh, the profile. Should be a lot of fun to see wherever he ends up.
0: Jeff, as you uh, take a look at college prospects in particular, how much uh, stock do you put in their uh, performance relative to their stats? You know, for example, you wrote about a guy out of Iowa recently Jake Adams who we actually got to see uh, in Champaign a couple of weeks ago um you know he went from largely unknown to the league leader or big ten league leader in home runs RBIs um doesn't have ideal athleticism he's a bigger kid um so with a guy like that or just you know any guy in college how much stock do you put in their numbers as a indicator of their performance or potential performance in the majors
2: yeah he's one of those fun guys just because he came out of nowhere um literally nowhere uh he was at a small juco it's supposed to go to north dakota uh it's a program that uh his baseball program has come and gone a few times but their baseball program started before north dakota was even a state and so it's always sad to see another program paid but from what I understand, he um, he had some other small school offers, but the only other offer in the Big Ten were he had a walk-on offer to Michigan. Iowa got lucky. Somebody that they didn't expect to signing a drafted did. They were able to offer Adams a uh, 40% scholarship offer. So, you know, he's when you look at the fact that he just had a record-breaking year, the single greatest power season in Iowa baseball history, and he's not even a half-scholarship kid. So, He's, he's definitely come on late in the process because he was not on any radar. Um, we're seeing a lot more talk, more people writing about him. I think just because there's so little to go on that he's he's kind of hard to place. But I could totally see him somewhere in like the third to sixth round. Um, and I think a team could potentially get a steal. I, I, the thing I like with Adams is even though teams are getting more information on him, he seems to be doing better and improving. And the bat speed maybe isn't the strongest, but he's just a big, strong kid. And if you can get him in the middle rounds, it's a nice gamble.
0: Yeah, 6'2", 250, and I think that 250 might be a little light. Uh, Seeing him in person, he is a a very large uh, human. Uh, Just a couple more questions. Um, One question I had, uh, Kyle Schwarber kind of came out of nowhere uh, a couple years ago in the draft. Is there anyone like that on your radar that you think, you know, if if you were the person picking – you really like a kid to go maybe around uh, or, or 20 picks ahead of where other teams have him?
2: You know what I'm hearing right now, it's the time of year where agents want to tell you everyone's going to go in round one. Like, uh, I mean, agents are great. They're very helpful. They help put you in the direction of kids I haven't heard of. And especially with high school kids, you know, they know they're, I'm sorry, and I shouldn't say agents, they're advisors <laughs> this point, um, once they sign their agent, But especially if it's a kid, I don't get a chance to see. They're great for giving me, hey, his velocity at this game was this, this, and this, but you know you have to take it with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Um, one kid I think that's been kind of interesting to watch, and I think he's a bit of a pop-up from maybe the fall, is uh, Bryce Bonin. Who's, uh, he was supposed to go to Arkansas as a shortstop. Um, he's about 6'1", and he came out, and they tried him as a pitcher, and he was hitting 97. So he's, he's undersized, but you have that good athlete, as he was a uh, Division One sec recruit as a shortstop and now he's a pitcher you know there's always the guys who are like huh. matt Sauer um has a lot of talk right now and i get a lot of great information from my uh co-worker with scout taylor blake ward who covers california heavily and Sauer was not really one of those guys at the start of the year who was mentioned he's a bigger kid he hits 97 um there's a lot of talk with him to the rangers right now at the end of round one he's pretty heavy but yeah those are two pitching names that have kind of uh risen up this year I'm trying to think if there's any college I mean I guess to degree Adam Hazley from Virginia I don't know if he was really someone we talked about as a, a first round guy um and now he has a legitimate chance to be the first college hitter off the board so that's that's quite a rise for uh for him
0: when the Cubs did take Schwarber were you surprised by that
2: I liked the Schwarber pick um I liked him as a as a player, and I've I thought in general the Cubs tend to and they have selected college guys. I've been a real big fan of uh, what they're looking at. It was a, it was a bit of a surprise, um, but it was a surprise where I liked it. I was like, okay, I didn't expect that, but I think this is a good pickup. I think it makes a degree of sense here, especially if they can save a few bucks with it. I talked. The year before that draft, with a, a pitcher from Ohio State, Brad Goldberg, who's on the White Sox now. Uh, he's on their 40 man. I don't know if he's made the team, but I was asking him who's the best hitter he had faced when he was pitching at Ohio State. It was Schwarber that year, and hmm. he made it seem like it was not even close between Schwarber and anyone else. So it was, you know, when other guys from teams start making those statements, you start looking at a kid, and the numbers there were strong. Uh, you know, as a junior, maybe was you You kind of hope guys take a step forward, and his was kind of a lateral year that year at Indiana, I want to say, that it wasn't a huge jump forward, and probably unfairly got things for that and position, but uh, he's one of those guys I let myself get talked out of, and mm. it's one of those players you kind of learn about as a writer, and you, you realize you just got to stick to your guns.
0: Yep. Well, lastly, uh, Paul is a White Sox fan. I'm a Cubs fan. The White Sox draft 11th overall, and the Cubs have – Two picks late in the first round, 27 and 30. You know, I know you probably don't spend a ton of time looking into what teams need when you make your mock drafts. Uh, So is it strictly kind of a best player on the board, or do you you kind of see the White Sox and Cubs having specific, you know, philosophies this year? Will the Cubs keep going college hitters, or will they finally uh, draft good pitchers? And then the White Sox, um, with the rebuild they're going through right now, are they looking for guys that might uh, perform a few years down the road, or are they looking for immediate impact guys?
2: With the White Sox um, last year, I right, had everyone wanted to tell me how they were going to go college or go prep. And I'm like, well, all they do is go college. And the one prep player they took, Courtney Hawkins, did not work out. So, and I said, when I come to that, and they went college, I think they're still going to be pretty strong on college. And I think they're just going to sit back and see who falls for them. My only question is, at that point, if they're at 11, it's do they like Jaron Kendall enough in spite of his red flags? They jump on a, a Jake Berger who's been surging. Teston Huara There's uh, another guy who I'm hearing connected with a lot of teams and those early teams. So for them, I think they'll take college. Um, and I, I right now lean towards them going college bat over pitcher because I think it's the valuation of unless an Alex Fado falls to 11, the, the college pitcher you're going to get around there. I, I mean – I really like David Peterson. I'm in the, the minority. I think he's a top-ten talent. But uh, after kind of the initial group, the value of what you'll get with the fourth or fifth starter in this draft is very similar to maybe what the White Sox can get at the top of the second round-ish uh, just because of the depth. With the Cubs, um, the two names I've heard them connected to are Nick Allen, the California shortstop, and Drew Waiters, the Georgia outfielder. When um, I was talking to my person who has connections to the Cubs, they said they didn't think they would take uh, both kids. They thought they would take one prep, one college. Hmm. But uh, if Allen was gone, that Waiters is a name to watch. And Allen's one of those guys that uh, the feeling right now is that if the Cubs don't take him at 26, that Toronto would grab him with the next pick. So if they do get uh, Allen there, they're expected to then lead towards a college talent with the next pick. And and then I've also, like I said, I've heard of Allen's gone, there'd be waiters and then a college town again with the other pick.
0: Well, thanks, uh, thanks so much, Jeff. Uh, look forward to reading your stuff in the next few weeks leading up to the draft. Appreciate the time.
2: Oh, thanks for having me on. It was fun.
0: Thanks again to Jeff for joining us on the podcast. Uh, again, check his work out on Twitter at uh, Jeff JeffMLBDraft and then Scout.com. Well, our 2005 MVP baseball update. Uh Paul you are now 5 and 0 on the season. The series is headed directly. We're going to test out the the home field advantage. Is that how you thought to do the TWTW? I didn't, but that's a a good tie. Yeah, so a must win for me this next game. Uh can't start out in a 6-0 hole. MVP Baseball 2005 is getting a lot of love on the internet this week. Have you seen these articles? Uh I think I saw one that you tweeted. People uh saying it's the best baseball video game of all time. Did something cause people to say? uh, No, I think just someone just wrote a, wrote a article about it. Hmm. We agree. It's a good video game. Yep. Paul and I will play another game. Not sure it'll be Sunday, but at some point this week, we'll play another game. Cub Sox at Wrigley. Uh, Other stuff on the podcast. uh, Episode 100 is coming up here soon. Paul and I have a fun idea planned for that 100th episode. So start getting uh, excited about that. Uh, Anything else, Paul? I don't think so. It's been a fun one. Yes. Uh, Follow us on Twitter, at a foot in the box. Find us online at a foot in the That's where you can find my daily uh, blog posts. Oh, and if you're going to a game this week, Mm -hmm. be sure to text us, tweet at us, email us, let us know. Because we've got four weeks in a row. Who would have thought that we could have done that? So... Let's, let's do five <laughs> yeah so if you're a listener and you are going to a game let us know we'll call you to do a short segment so far we've got dc seattle uh u.s cellular or guaranteed rate and um petco park mm-hmm. so you've got 26 other parks to choose from preferably not wrigley because i'll be there uh, this friday with my nephew grady and we're going to do a short little segment maybe any other park except wrigley let us know and we'll give you a call I think that does it for us. Have a great uh, short work week. Hope you had a great Memorial Day, depending on when you're listening to this. Yeah, enjoy baseball. And I think that does it. Thanks to all the vets out there and a reminder to keep a foot in the box. We'll talk to you next week. Hi. Hi.
1: Hi. I've been trying to do it right. Hey! I've been living a lonely life. I've been sleeping here instead. Hey. I've been sleeping in my bed. Hey. I've been sleeping in my bed. Hi. Hey. Hi. Hey. Hey. So show me family.